right, yeah, victory over death, the resurrection. That's really what we're celebrating every Sunday when we come together, is the resurrection of Jesus. And that's why things like dance parties break out, because it's a happy thing. Really, the resurrection, in a lot of ways, is we're going we're gonna to go through the chapter in the Bible, 1 Corinthians 15 today, that dissects it the most and gives us the greatest theology of the resurrection. But in a lot of ways, it's more visceral, or it's just as visceral as it is intellectual. When we get a revelation of Jesus conquering death and bringing victory over, over sin, over sickness, over the brokenness of the world through his, through his resurrection. And how that translates to our lives, both now and in the future. And I was thinking about this this week. Uh, we got, I'm sure, some college basketball fans in the room, and K-State is on a great roll here. Man, just really pulling for them to win the Big 12 this year. They're looking good. Big game tomorrow. But probably the most well-known or maybe the best player in college basketball this year is, and I'm, I'm, I, uh, just from what I've heard, I haven't watched too much, but Zion Williamson, freshman at Duke, is just an explosive, incredible talent. And he probably definitely could have gone straight to the NBA as an 18-year-old, except the NBA has a rule that you have to be 19. And so the best players oftentimes go to college for a year until they turn 19, and then they go to the NBA. Well, those of you who are sports fans know that last week, Zion Williamson, Duke, was playing in a game, and he made just a, not even that big of a move, just kind of cut, planted his foot, and his, his shoe totally ripped apart. I'm not going to tell you the brand, but you, it was, was not good for that company. Just totally ripped apart, and he sprained his knee. Not, not super bad, but he, he sprained his, his knee, was out of the rest of the game. Couldn't play the rest of the game. And this just reignited this whole question of, man, should the NBA change their rules? Because in situations like this, where you've got a guy who's worth millions and millions of dollars, he's got a skill and he's worked it and he's got talent, and he could be making millions of dollars, but because of this, this rule, he's risking injury where he could be losing that profit, losing that, that opportunity to make a lot of money. And I was just thinking about that as like, wow, here's Zion Williamson, this incredible athlete, you know, like the top 0.1% of athletes in the world. Like he's got this amazing physique and body and he's, he's, he's talented, he's developed it. But he's just one minute away, one move away from an injury to that body and, and losing even where he's at right now or losing that, that, that edge that he has or that gift that he has. And that's him. And then there's the rest of us. Right? Where probably if, we would, if I would ask you, hey, how many of you have something going on with your body right now? How many of you have some nagging thing or something that's not quite right? Probably most of us would raise like all ten fingers and our toes too. Because there's always, you know, we live in, our bodies are, 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 there's a brokenness. We live in a world that has been affected by sin. And there's brokenness and decay and futility that has entered the world. And it's, it's expressed everywhere. It's expressed in everything that we build just doesn't last. You know, the best buildings that man makes will, if they're really good, maybe become ruins someday that people look at. But nothing, you know, our, our work is, there's, there's futility, and there's frustration, and nothing that we do lasts. And our bodies are exhibit A of that process of decay and futility and the brokenness of the world. And the resurrection is not only about how Jesus 
came back to life. It is that. But it's how that resurrection brings life and victory to all those who believe in Him. And that that starts as we believe. We experience the resurrection in this life as we believe. But only compared to what we will experience in eternity, it's, there's so much more. And so, in 1 Corinthians, we've been, we've been going through this letter that Paul wrote. And this, man, this letter is so packed. I've just been amazed as we've been going through with how much wisdom and truth and relevance there is written to the, these believers in the city of Corinth who had a whole lot of problems. And if you remember the beginning of the book, they, they had problems of unity. They were divided. They had problems of sexual immorality. They had issues of their preferences and their rights and how those could maybe offend other people. And just all sorts of issues. But before Paul started going into those specific issues, he, he bookended the front of the book talking about the cross. And how before he got into all, all the issues, he talked about, hey, we have to see everything through the cross. How God became a man and gave his life for us. And how that is a leveling field. I'm not going to re-preach all that again, but how the cross is the beginning point of God emptied himself. And we all deserve death. But Jesus died for us, took our punishment in our place, and that levels the playing field. Like that, We're all equal at the foot of the cross. But the way of God bringing redemption is not through self-advancement or us trying to be successful or glorious, but God, the same way that God empties himself, he calls us to empty ourselves for others. So the book starts with the cross, and now we're getting to the end of the book. And the other, the other bookend is the other bookend, of the gospel. It's the cross and the resurrection. And so, we're looking at how the gospel, the message of Jesus, man, my mouth is really, really dry. <laughs> every, every sentence is like, you gotta stop. The message of Jesus, which is really the message of his identity, who he is, his life, his death, and his resurrection, that message when we, what it did, opens up a whole new reality. It changes everything. It changes the rules of the world. It changes how we live. It changes how we interact with one another. It opens up a whole new possibility. It brings us into the possibility of the way God wants us to live. And so, the message, in the resurrection, man, if there wasn't, just, if there wasn't for a resurrection, I... I would be as depressed as most of the people in our culture. Because if, if this life of brokenness and futility was all there was, if there wasn't something more, if there wasn't God who was bringing his victory into the world and taking us somewhere, man, we should be depressed. And so, really, we're going we're gonna to go through this chapter. We're going to read most of it, not quite all of it. And I'm going to just let, hopefully this is what we're always doing, but we're wanting to let the Bible speak to us more than me try to tell you how wonderful my thoughts are. But our trust is, our, our hope is that God would speak to you and give you a greater understanding of the resurrection and its implications. And my hope this morning is not only that, that our, our thoughts will be renewed, yes, we want that to happen, but I also just believe God wants to inspire us. God wants to speak to us in our, in our gut, in our hearts. And inspire us to see what he is up to 
and, and what he has done and what he is doing and what he will do in a way that, that changes the way we live. And so we're going to read through this. When we're done, just, I'm, I'm warning, this is like, hey, there's going to be a pop quiz somewhere during the semester, all right? There's going to be a pop quiz when I'm done talking, and it's going to be easy. Wow, so I have wrong words. I hit some, like, raw nerves right there. No, I want you to turn to a neighbor and tell them what is the one implication of the resurrection that I see from 1 Corinthians chapter 15. All right, what stands out to you from this passage? So before we do that, I'm going to pray and ask God to speak to us. So let's, let's pray together. Lord, we come to you as one who is alive, one who's powerful, one who's ruling and reigning and overcoming and bringing things to a so much better place than they are now. Lord, would you, as we look at your word, as, would you speak by revelation? Holy Spirit, would you come? Speak to our hearts. Speak to us exactly what you want us to hear. Help us to get it. Help us to believe it. And then live it out. Pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right. I'm just going to start reading here. And this is a, uh, not a short chapter, but there's so much here. So I'm just going to read it and then make some comments as we go. And remember, we're looking for the implications of the, re- the resurrection is, is this. So he starts out, Now, brothers and sisters, I want to remind you of the gospel I preached to you, which you have received and on which you have taken your stand. That's, again, this... I kind of said it already, but he's saying, I'm, I'm telling you about the gospel. The gospel is the message of the life, death, and resurrection of Jesus. And being a Christian is not about just a moral philosophy. Like, do this, don't do this, these are the rules, these are the guidelines. But it's a message about Jesus. That we hear, we believe, and it's no longer about, hey, I'm going to try to beat this bad habit, or I'm going to try to be a better person, or I'm going to try to deal with, the depression of life and all, this, all the things that I'm facing, but it's a message that we hear, we believe, and we take our stand on who God is and what He's done. So we, that's the gospel that you've taken your stand, but He's saying, I want to remind you, because even though you have heard this and believed it, that doesn't mean you're believing it right now. There are many moments of our lives, those of us who would say, I'm a believer. But there are many moments when I'm not believing. I'm not taking my stand on the gospel. I'm living in some other place. And so we say, hey, it's all about remembering, believing, taking your stand on this. By this gospel, this message of Jesus, death, life, resurrection, by this gospel you are saved. If you hold firmly to the word I preach to you. Again, you've got to hold firmly to this message. Otherwise, you have believed in vain. And when he says are saved, it's, Really, the, the Bible, a lot of times we, we hear, hey, when did you get saved? I got saved two years ago. I turned away from my sins, trusted Jesus, and I got saved. And that's true. We, we get saved, but then we are being saved. And there's a process of us being transformed, being saved from our old way of living. And that's really what he's saying here. By this gospel, we are being saved if we hold on and are, are actively believing the truth of God's message. For what I received, I passed on to you as of first importance. Here's the message. That Christ died for our sins according to the scriptures. That he was buried. That he was raised on the third day according to the scriptures. 
and that he appeared to Cephas, one of the names of Peter, and then to the twelve. After that, he appeared to more than 500 of the brothers and sisters at the same time, most of whom are still living, though some have fallen asleep. Now this is, this is one of the important distinctions of the Christian message. That Paul is saying, hey, it's about Jesus lived, He died, He was raised on the third days. That was a fulfillment of the Scriptures. All throughout the Hebrew Scriptures, there were promises of a Messiah coming. He fulfilled that. He, he died as the Scriptures had promised. And he was raised. And then, He appeared to a whole bunch of people. And when Paul wrote this, these people were still alive. And so these were eyewitnesses of the resurrection. This is, again, what distinguishes Christianity from all the religions. They're just like, hey, these are ideas that someone had. They went up on a mountain, and they had this spiritual experience, and now here's a way to live. But Christianity is, is not just an idea, but it's the power of God coming into the world to overcome death. And it was made, re, it was made manifest in Jesus' resurrection. And Paul's saying, hey, there's Peter, James, there are 500 brothers and sisters. He appeared to you one time all at once. So, you don't believe me, go talk to them. They're still, li- they're still living. This is real historical truth. Then he appeared to James, and then to all the apostles, and last of all, he appeared to me also, as to one abnormally born. For I am the least of the apostles, and do not even deserve to be called an apostle, because I persecuted the church of God. But by the grace of God, I am what I am. And his grace to me was not without effect. No, I worked harder than all of them. Yet not I, but the grace of God that was with me. This is interesting. A lot of times Christians have the idea that, or you would think this is what they believe. Oh, I'm, if, you, if you really believe in God, well, I'm just going to lay that aside. I won't say what people... This is what you should believe. This is, Paul says this, if you believe the resurrection, there is evidence of that in your life. This is grace. I was, I was lost. I was persecuting the church of God, but God's resurrection power came to me. And how do I know that? Because now I'm working harder than everybody else. He's saying, my life was so transformed when I experienced God's grace and his resurrection that that has played out in the way that I live. And I went from someone that was anti the purposes of God. I was doing everything I could to resist it. To God's resurrection power came into my life. And now there's, it's not just like, you know, what do I believe in my mind? But there is a life power. There's an energy. There's a vitality that is working out of my life where there's a motivation now where I am working my tail off. I am waking up every day with a mission. I am on task. I am wanting to see the rest of the world change and hear this gospel because it has so gotten a hold of me. And that is, we're not saved by works, but we are saved for works. Ephesians, Ephesians 2 says that. And the evidence of, I can look at, man, am I believing the gospel? Am I believing the resurrection? If I am believing, then that will result in an energy, in a motivation, in something beyond myself that I'm accessing and living with my life, living out of, coming out of my life. That's good stuff, huh? Kind of uh, makes us look at ourselves a little bit too, though, right? He's saying, wow, okay. His grace was not without effect, but it's working harder in me. 
It's the grace of God in me. All right, verse 12. But if, but if it is preached that Christ has been raised from the dead, how can some of you say that there is no resurrection of the dead? If there is no resurrection of the dead, then not even Christ has been raised. And if Christ has not been raised, our preaching is useless, and so is your faith. So one of the false ideas that the Corinthians were believing was that there was no resurrection. And by that, it wasn't, it wasn't that they didn't believe that there was life after death. They, they knew there was life after death. Everyone knew that there was life after death, that your, you, your spirit existed after you died. But what they didn't believe, and this is important, they didn't believe that there was a bodily resurrection. They thought, just a lot of them thought that just, hey, your spirit lived forever with Jesus in heaven in the clouds somewhere. But they didn't believe that your bodies were resurrected. Literally, this phrase, there is no resurrection of the dead, it literally is resurrection of the corpses. That's a little, you know, intense. That's maybe why the translators make it a little nicer for us. But they are saying, they don't believe there's a resurrection of the corpses. But that's really what we're talking about here, that people who die and become corpses, the resurrection idea is that we will one day be resurrected too, that our bodies will be resurrected, and we will have a new body. So good news for Zion Williamson and the rest of us, right? So, but this plays into their whole, like, the dualism. The idea that, like, there's a spiritual side of life, and that's good, but then, like, the natural, physical world, and that came from Plato, and it's very much with us today, this idea that spiritual is good, the physical is bad. And so, in these Corinthians, they they were very proud and kind of philosophical, they had the idea like, well, no, man, that's that the corpses, our bodies, like, you know, those are like, you know, bodily functions, and like, that's, that's not a very, like, good thing. Your body's not good. We want to escape from our bodies. So this idea, like, why would your body be resurrected? But, but Paul is saying, no, that is essential to what God is doing, as essential to his, to his plan and purpose. Um, verse, verse 15, more than that, we have been found to be false witnesses about God, for we have testified about God that he raised Christ from the dead. But he did not raise him if in fact the dead are not raised. Um, For if the dead are not raised, then Christ has not been raised either. And if Christ has not been raised, your faith is futile and you are still in your sins. Then those also who have fallen asleep in Christ are lost. If only for this life we have hope in Christ, we are of all people most to be pitied. Keep reading here. But Christ has indeed been raised from the dead, the first fruits of those who have fallen asleep. So there it is again. Christ has been raised from the dead, the first fruits. The first fruit was the first part of the harvest. So when you harvested your, your crop, you took the first grain and you brought it to the temple and gave it to, to God as, as an offering. And the first fruit always implies there's more coming. So this is saying Jesus is the first fruits of those raised from the dead, but there's a whole lot more of a harvest coming, and that's all the rest of us who believe we also will be resurrected. Um, all right, let's flip, flip to the next slide here. Verse 21, For since death came through a man, the resurrection of the dead comes also through a man. For as in Adam all die, so in Christ all will be made alive. But each in turn, Christ the firstfruits, then when he comes, those who belong to him. 
Then the end will come when he hands over, to the kingdom of, hands over the kingdom of God the Father after he has destroyed all dominion, authority, and power. For he must reign until he has put all his enemies under his feet. The last enemy to be destroyed is death. When he has done this, then the Son himself will be made subject to him who has put everything under him so that God may be all in all. All right, there's a lot there, but basically it's saying we are in this time in history now where Jesus is reigning, and he's actually quoting Psalm 110 right here, referencing Psalm 110, which is the most frequently referenced uh, passage in the Old Testament, referenced in the New Testament. In Psalm 110, it's a conversation between God the Father and God the Son. And it says, The Lord says to my Lord, sit at my right hand until I make your enemies a footstool for your feet. And so it's after Jesus' ascension, he's up in heaven right now, seated at the right hand of the Father, and the Father says, hey, sit here until all your enemies are made a footstool for your feet. And that's where we are at right now. This is the point in history where we're at right now, where God is working through his church, through his people. He's working, but through us, bringing his kingdom into the world more fully. Until ultimately, our mission is accomplished, and then Jesus will come back, and death will be completely destroyed and defeated. And we could go on and on about that, but I'm just going to move on for the sake of time. Verse 29, now if there is no resurrection, why do, we sell, why do we endanger ourselves every hour? I face death every day. Yes, just as surely as I boast about you in Christ Jesus our Lord. If I fought wild beasts in Ephesus with no more than human hopes, what have I gained? If the dead are not raised, let us eat and drink, for tomorrow we die. This reminds me of, you guys, most of you are too young for this, but there was a classic movie in the 90s, Bill Murray movie, What About Bob? And, yes, good, some fans here. Dr. Marvin's son, Siggy, named after Sigmund Freud, he's up in, uh, up in his bedroom at their lake cabin with, with, with Bob, who has every sort of emotional issue and mental issue you can imagine. And they start opening up to each other, and Siggy says, What does it matter? I'm, we're all going to die. I'm going to die. You're going to die. We're all going to die. It may be 70 years, much shorter in your case, he says to Bob, who's a grown man. Maybe, but we're all going to die. And, you know, it's, that's, without the resurrection, if this life is all there is, man, let's eat and drink. Just, this is, this is all there is. Try to find some happiness. But, or, or just check out. Like, it doesn't really matter if this is all there is. There's, there's no point. But, because of the resurrection, it brings meaning to our lives. And he's saying not just meaning, but enough meaning for you to endure some really tough stuff. You know, Paul's saying, hey, I've gone through a lot. I've gone through a lot, and I've gone through a lot for the gospel. And if there is not a resurrection, if there's not a reward, if there is not something more that God is bringing, then this is, this is stupid. This is a huge waste of time. But because there is a resurrection, because there is something more that God is bringing, it brings meaning in our suffering, in our futility. And we need to know that in, in what feels like futility because life oftentimes feels monotonous. It oftentimes is tough. But we, we face intense stuff. But the revelation of the resurrection gives us what we need to have meaning and purpose in the midst of that. And even to willingly choose the suffering because we know that God is bringing something greater through that. 
Verse 33, do not be misled. Bad company corrupts good character. Come back to your senses as you ought and stop sinning, for there are some who are ignorant of God. I say this to your shame. Okay, now, so he's laying that whole foundation that there is a resurrection, and this is central to the gospel. Now he goes into kind of some interesting stuff, and like, well, what is our resurrection body like? What's it, that's kind of interesting. You know, what's Zion Williamson's body going to be like? And will I be able to, to beat Zion Williamson in basketball, in my resurrection body? I, like, what's, how does this all work? But he's, he gets into it. So verse 33, but someone will say, how are the dead raised? With what kind of body will they come? How foolish. What you sow does not come to life unless it dies. When you sow, you do not plant the body that will be, but just a seed, perhaps of wheat or of something else. And he goes on, but he's, he's saying the kind of body that believers in Jesus will receive is a different kind of body. It's, it's the, our body now is like a seed that has to die, but something greater is going to come after that happens. And then verse, verse 42, he, he goes into more detail, but verse 42 says, So it will be with the resurrection of the dead. The body that is sown is perishable. It is raised imperishable. It is sown in dishonor. It is raised in glory. It is sown in weakness. That's true. It's raised in power. It's sown a natural body. It's raised a spiritual body. If there is a natural body, there's also a spiritual body. And this kind of brings me back to, like, wow, do we really believe this? Do we believe that we will die, and then if we believe in Jesus, we will have a resurrected body? That's kind of, that's kind of crazy. It sounds kind of crazy to our natural mind, but that is an essential part of the gospel. And I love how it's, uh, it talks about we're weak, it's inglorious, but that uh, we don't know what that's going to look like, but it's so much more than what we're experiencing now. We have some hints of that, like we see when Jesus rose from the dead. He had a resurrected body, and it could do some pretty cool things. It was still a body. It still, he, he ate and drank, and people saw him. People recognized him, although sometimes they were slow to recognize him. Um, he seemed to look different. And then he could do things like just walk through walls or show up in locked rooms and then just disappear. But it seemed like he was transporting. Like, that's like my ultimate, if I could pick a superpower, that would be it, right there. And so, like, it seems like, wow, maybe that's like what our resurrected bodies are going to be like. I, there's, so, our, it's, it's still like our bodies, but there's a whole new dimension. It's kind of like all those, the reason we like superpower movies, I think that's one part of it, is like, there's something we know we were made for more. And there's an essence of that that we were made for. Um, I will just say this, that it says there's a natural body, spiritual body, it's hard to translate those words. And the natural, literally, it's, it's more like it's the word like psyche, like, your, 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 like where we get psychology. So it's more talking about your soul. So now, and it's saying right now we have a natural body. It's, it's governed by our souls. It's governed by our, our emotions and our thoughts, our minds, our wills. But our, later we'll have a spiritual body. That doesn't mean, well, just go ahead, read, look at this next quote. This is from... Richard Hayes, a commentator, he says, it is to be a spiritual body, not in the sense that it's somehow made out of spirit and vapors. Like, ooh, it's a ghost. But in the sense that it's determined by the spirit and gives the spirit form and local habitation. So it's, it's, spirit, it's more like spirit energized. It's governed by our spirit instead of our 
our emotions and our minds. We've come to a new place of God's spirit and our spirit being what is directing. We're living on a spiritual level like, like we weren't in, in a completely different way. Um, go ahead and show that next slide there, Sagar. Philippians 3, 20 and 21 says this, We eagerly await a Savior from heaven, the Lord Jesus Christ, who by the power that enables him to bring everything under his control will transform our lowly bodies so that they will be like his glorious body. Now this is when Jesus comes back our bodies will be transformed. So it's not that it won't be a body, but it will be transformed into something so much more glorious. All right. Um, Verse 50, I declare to you, brothers and sisters, that flesh and blood cannot inherit the kingdom of God, nor does the perishable inherit the imperishable. Listen, I tell you a mystery. We will not all sleep, but we will all be changed. In a flash, in the twinkling of an eye, at the last trumpet, the trumpet is an image of, throughout Scripture when, of the last day. This is talking about the second coming when Jesus returns. So in this moment, Jesus returns, blast of a trumpet, the trumpet will sound, the dead will be raised imperishable, and we will be changed. Come on, that's exciting. For the perishable must clothe itself with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality. When the perishable has been clothed with the imperishable, and the mortal with immortality, then the saying that is written will come true. Death has been swallowed up in victory. Where, O oh death, is your victory? Where, O oh death, is your sting? Gosh, it's an awesome description. And so Jesus is coming back. Those that are dead in Christ, who believe in Christ, will be resurrected. Those to, uh, to righteous judgment, those we skipped over that, but Earlier, but those who do not believe will be resurrected to a resurrection of, of punishment, of judgment. But death is defeated. Death is overcome by the, by the resurrection of Jesus, worked out in creation. Verse 56, the sting of death is sin, the power of sin is the law, but thanks be to God, he gives us the victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. So, bam, there, there it is. And then I love, he goes right into this next verse, verse 58. Therefore, and whenever there's a therefore in the Bible, you've got to ask, what's it there for? What's it talking about? So it's, therefore, it's been talking all about the resurrection. So therefore, because of what Jesus is doing, his coming final resurrection, therefore, my bro- dear brothers and sisters, stand firm. Let nothing move you. Always give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because you know that your labor in the Lord is not in vain. Man, when we get an understanding of the message of Jesus and his resurrection, that it's coming into the world, it has come, it is coming, and it will come, that gives us energy and motivation and purpose to our lives. And saying, this is what God is up to, and as we join with him and as we believe him, we can be part of what he is doing. So, be, be motivated. Give yourselves fully to the work of the Lord, because it's not in vain. It's not going to, just as like our bodies will be transformed, our, some of our work done in faith will be transformed. It's going to make it through. Like stuff that we do in this world of loving and believing, especially as this book is all about loving other people, will have a lasting reward that, that will endure. So therefore, stand firm. And then there's one more short chapter at the end of this book. It's all like kind of wrapping it up. But it's interesting, he goes right into very practical stuff. He's like, the resurrection. Believe in it. It matters. So... 
be immovable, know your work's not in vain. And then he tells them, hey, so like, set aside your money for the work of, of the church. And here, set aside money every week to, to go serve these needs of these churches that are in need. And we've got some plans. There's some different ministers that are coming. And remember to love each other. And he's like, he's going right into, so let's keep at it. Let's keep on loving. Let's keep on believing. Let's, let's see God's kingdom come through our lives because the resurrection has happened and it is happening and it will happen. So, all right, pop quiz time. Turn to your neighbor. Tell them what's one takeaway for you, one implication of the resurrection. All right, well, those I, I wish we had time to hear everybody's, but that probably wouldn't, might not be what we want to do here. Maybe it is, but we won't do that. Um, I, I put down three. There's so many implications, but we got a couple just takeaways that I, that, that's really stood out to me. Um, the first one is, show me the slide, Sagar, because I need to read it. The resurrection is central to the gospel. So this is central. It's all about, the message of Jesus is about his life coming into the world and coming in the future into the world through Jesus. The second implication is that the resurrection is, is a physical resurrection. And it promises us glorious future bodies and a renewed earth. And so that actually gives, at least we talked about it a few weeks ago, it, gives, it helps show just how important this created world is and our physical bodies are. That we are good. We're made in God's image. Our bodies are good. So we talked about a couple of weeks ago, our bodies are the temple of the Holy Spirit. They are, our bodies are for the Lord and the Lord is for our bodies. And although they are twisted, can be, you know, Corrupted by sin, that it is a good thing, and as we experience that more and more in this life, it leads into the, the renewed new creation that God is bringing for our new bodies in a renewed earth at the second coming. And then finally, the resurrection, it gives meaning and purpose. It means that the living, suffering, working in the Lord is not in vain. That no matter what we're going through, no matter how challenging it is, no matter when we can't see any answers, that if we are in the Lord, if we are putting our trust in Him and standing in Him, that it is not in vain. And there's no discouragement that can overcome that. There's no addiction that can't be overcome. There's no habit pattern, no broken relationship that cannot be renewed by the grace of God. And everything we give each other to and especially, as, it's, as this book is all about, especially as we love, especially as we receive God's grace and love other people, it's not in vain. So, all right. Think about that. Live it out. Um, Rob, you can go ahead and come on up and close us out here. Um, let me, I'll, I'll pray for us one more time and let's ask God to help us. Lord, thank you. Thank you for your power. Thank you for your life. Thank you for your victory over death. Lord, help us to get this. Help us to get it more. Help us to understand it more and live it more. Lord, thank you. Thank you for the glorious present and the even much, much more glorious future that you're bringing about. We worship you for that in Jesus' name. Amen.